This is Data Podcast. In the ever-changing world of data, this is the podcast packed full of information to keep you right on top of all the developments. From AWS and Azure, through to data science, big data, AI and NoSQL, and everything in between, we cover the essential updates from both a technical and non-technical perspective, including special guests and in-depth interviews. Now, please welcome your hosts, Rajiv Baha and Shabnam Khan, with today's episode of Data Podcast. Hello, everyone. We are really excited to have Michael Ludwig again. He was our guest in previous episode on Azure Cosmos Multimodal DB. Michael Ludwig is a data solution architect at Microsoft, where he works on machine learning, big data, and blockchain applications on the Azure platform. Prior to joining Microsoft, Michael worked at Silver Bay, designing and optimizing geographical and financial statistical analysis solutions, mostly regression analysis and clustering. Before that, he was a database architect and then the lead systems architect of a multi-tenant cloud-based Internet of Things application for Logic PD in Minneapolis. I am Shabnam and Rajiv is hosting with me today. Welcome to our show, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Rajiv, you have the floor. Thank you, Shabnam. Michael, I'm curious, uh, what is the purpose of a graph database and why do we use it? Well, we mostly use um, graph databases um, to work with things called graphs, obviously. And, and a graph is a special data structure that you can imagine as a set of dots and lines, so which we call nodes and edges or vertices and edges. And Facebook or the internet itself are two very famous sets of graphs as we know them. So in Facebook, you or all the people are nodes and all the friend relationships between those people are the edges that connect them. Or in the internet, you know, a web page would be a node and all the hyperlinks from that web page to other web pages are the edges that connect them. And so a graph database is a special data structure that allows you to um, run special algorithms or do reasoning or searches on um, data that is naturally structured as a graph. And this is just makes it easier than if you had that same data in a different kind of database, you know, like a, a normal relational database. And so graph databases just make it a little easier. They don't really do anything that you couldn't do with a normal database, but the things you tend to want to do with graphs um, tend to be easier if you're using a specific graph database. Oh, those are fun examples to learn. Um, I'm curious to learn if Google Map uses graph databases in its application. Yes, and that's that's a very good example. There's um, Google applications actually use graphs at a number of in a number of areas. Um, as I <clears throat> initially said, there the, the web itself is a graph database, and Google Search is pretty much one of the the first famous graph um, implementations. Um, the Maps um, is probably the second most famous one, you could say. Um, though that concept has been around, you know, long before Google Maps came. Um, we used to have, you know, TomToms or um, 
GPS devices in our cars that would tell us how to get places. And that itself is um, a, a basic graph algorithm. So when you want to go from one place to another, when you're trying to find a route on a map to go from, say, Minneapolis to Chicago, there's what you're doing is you're looking on the map for the shortest route. You obviously could go down through, say, Des Moines, Iowa, down to Omaha, and then back up around Indianapolis to get to Chicago. But that's not the shortest route um, and probably not the one you want to take. You're probably going to want to go through Madison, Wisconsin, um, all the way down to Chicago. And what you're doing when you're looking at a map like that is your brain is really looking for the shortest or at least the best path or the most scenic route to get from one place to another. And so it's going through and essentially calculating, you know, how long will it take me to get to Chicago? And that is um, a basic application of graph databases. In a graph database, um, like the one that's behind Google Maps, what you have is a bunch of cities and the roads that connect them, you know, simplify things. Obviously, each house in the city has its own little um, subsection on that. But essentially, um, all the places you can go to or from are nodes in this graph. And the edges are the roads that take you from one place to another. And each of those edges is going to have different properties on it. So, of course, the main property is, you know, how far it is from Minneapolis to Chicago um, and all the places in between. But you also will have other properties in Google Maps, um, which is what Google Maps is famous for, is they're going to have properties like how fast you can go on that road, what the speed limit is. Um, they also have real-time properties, such as what's the congestion on that road? Is there an accident or not? What is the average speed that cars are currently going? And um, Google map algorithm, when you tell it I want to go from Minneapolis to Chicago, it calculates out what is the actual shortest route. Um, where is there an accident? Where can we go around it? What streets have higher speed limits? Or um, if you've told it that you don't want to take freeways, then it'll find the shortest route that does not involve going on Highway 94 all the way down to Chicago. And so that is a, a very basic graph application. It's called the shortest path algorithm, which you run on a, a graph database. And that is what, that's the smarts behind Google Maps. Uh, that's great. What are the major graph systems out there? And how does Apache Gremlin fit into that? that that's, a, that's a good question. And there are different ways of thinking about this. And we'll maybe go through sort of a, a small Venn diagram, if we can draw that in our heads. There, as, as I said initially, um, you don't have to use a graph database um, to do any of the operations that you do on graphs. I know um, researchers who specialize in graphs. I was talking with one uh, just a few days ago, um, asking her what sort of graph databases she uses. And she told me she has never used what all of the work has always been in relational databases. And you can do a lot of things in a relational database. And traditionally, that's sort of how, how you worked with these graph databases. 
And so a lot of graph databases actually are just a layer on top of an existing relational database. Um, now, sometimes on top of an existing NoSQL database. And that's where Apache um, Gremlin will come in um, and Tinkerpop, which is the server that uses Gremlin as its programming language. That's Tinkerpop server can sit on any kind of underlying database. Famously, um, it can run on Datastax Cassandra, which is a NoSQL um, database, or it could run on top of a relational database, um, such as SQL Server. That is just sort of the storage element for the graph. Tinkerpop then sort of takes a Gremlin programming languages and translates it down into an algorithm that can run on top of that specific storage system. So that is the first kind of graph database you're going to have. It's still a normal database, essentially, with a layer on top of it that allows you to write queries that are specific to graphs. Um, and the underlying database may or may not be optimized to, to, to process those queries. Um, it just depends on the, on the application. And so you're going to have databases um, within the, the Gremlin Tinkerpop ecosystem. You're going to have other databases, such as Titan, which is a, a famous graph database that was purchased by Datastax and is now tightly integrated with Cassandra. Titan, however, still has drivers that uh, will allow it to interface with a Tinkerpop server or act as a Tinkerpop server and take in um, Gremlin queries. The same goes for Cosmos DB, which we spoke about last time. Mm -hmm. which is in uh, Microsoft Azure, that has very similar architecture to Cassandra and Titan, where um, they've implemented the Tinkerpop server, and you can send Gremlin commands to Cosmos DB, which it'll run um, on data that's saved as a graph. Um, that's the first main chunk where you have databases um, with some sort of query that runs against them. The second chunk is when you get into big data. So this is, for example, when Google tries to process the entire internet as a graph. Um, you obviously can't do that in a database. Um, there's no set of hardware that's big enough in order to hold you know, the entire internet in its, um, in its memory. And so what you have are distributed systems. And that is where a a different Apache project comes in, which is Apache GraphX in the Spark ecosystem. And that is based on um, a paper that Google published in 2010 that explained how it processes graphs in a distributed fashion. So now your graph is stored in files in a gigantic storage system. And these algorithms that you run for example, the page rank algorithm that Google runs to you know, rank pages so it knows which page to put on the top of your search result, that algorithm goes and looks famously you know, at all the pages that link to this page and how many pages this one links to and creates a score saying you know, that this page, Huffington Post, is a very popular page and should go at the top of the search result. 
And this other tiny little newspaper that nobody's heard of doesn't have many links going to it and is going to fall down, you know, in number nine or even number 13 of the results. That big graph processing algorithm has to be done sort of in batch mode, if you will, offline. And it's done through graph systems that are not databases, but that are essentially distributed programming um, systems like GraphX um, in the Hadoop sphere. So that's sort of the two main chunks you have. You're going to have these large distributed systems that can process ginormous graphs. And then you're going to have databases that are better at processing smaller graphs that can be held in memory, but that are obviously going to be a lot faster. They can run in real time. That's quite impressive. Now, speaking of our DBMS and graph table, and we know that SQL Server 2017 has support for graph table. How do we implement it? Um, yes, that's a it's a new feature that came out um, in SQL Server a few months ago, and that is a um, still somewhat um, experimental feature. Um, it's in production, um, but it it will not have the full range of a traditional graph database like Neo4j um, or like Oracle's database, which has had um, a a graph subsystem for, for, for decades and where you use a language called Sparkle to access that. In this case, in SQL Server, you're using T-SQL, which is the normal SQL programming language. They just added a feature called match. So it's a keyword called match so that now you can do a select from where match. And the match is allowing you to create this graph query saying, I want to find all the friends of a friend of a friend. If you have, you know, a Facebook or Twitter like graph, you can add, you can tell it, I have this table that has friends or people and this table that has the friend relationships between people. And you can create a query now that says select friend.name um, from the friend and person table where person are friends of a person who are friends of a person. And then you tell it, I want all the friends of a friend of Bob, for example. Um, that's a new feature in SQL Server that is just an add-on. The, the, ta- the graph tables look pretty much just like normal SQL tables. They have a few extra system columns that allow them to, to um, keep track of the graph specific data, but otherwise you're just writing a T-SQL query against SQL Server and getting out an answer. Again, you could have done this in a normal SQL table. You would have just had to write a pretty convoluted um, set of joins and SQL query in order to get the answer out. This way, what happens is you can write a simple query that's going to be a lot easier to debug and the SQL Server optimization engine will take that and turn it into this complex set of joins that you're going to need to run on top of that database. As a follow-up to that, how is this similar or dissimilar to, say, a graph computing uh, solution implemented in vendor agnostic tools such as, let's say, Apache Tinkerpop? So, so the big difference is going to be the, the scripting or programming language you use. In SQL Server, you're still going to be using T-SQL. 
because that's the native scripting language for uh, SQL Server. They've just added this this match keyword. Mm-hmm. In Apache Tinkerpop, on the other hand, you're going to have um, a, a plethora of programming languages you can use because Tinkerpop as a sort of open source system is meant to be um, pluggable. You can write drivers for it. And that server can either have drivers for different databases underneath it. So it can work with Cassandra or it can work with Titan or it can work with Neo4j um, or it can work with SQL Server on the back end. And on the front end, you can have different languages that implement the Gremlin Tinkerpop uh, syntax. And for the most part, what you do is you write in a language called Gremlin, um, which gets translated into the Tinkerpop format, which then gets translated into your specific database format. Um, so SQL Server is just has its, its own implementation of that stack, um, whereas Apache Tinkerpop is um, trying to be much more vendor agnostic and programming language agnostic. But you can solve the same problems with both, obviously. Does the new version of SQL Server 2017, uh, does it do any better job at uh, communicating with uh, Tinkerpop or Gremlin? Not that I know of. Um, I I just don't know. I would suspect that it somebody might write a Tinkerpop driver that would take make use of SQL Server's specific, you know, graph implementation now. At the moment, um, you can just, you have drivers that will just store the Tinkerpop graph um, in it, the Tinkerpop format in SQL Server, but you could you could definitely imagine that they could there would be advantages to storing it now in SQL Server's native graph format. Um, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen yet on GitHub whether or not uh, anyone has has written that driver, but I'm sure it will pop up at some point. That's great, and uh, sorry about putting you in a spot like that, and uh, we hope to. Uh learn about this from you in future. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So talking about the Tinkerpop, who can be involved in um, coding community of Tinkerpop? Anyone. That's the, the, the wonderful thing about open source software is that um, the Apache Tinkerpop project is, is hosted on GitHub and anyone can make a pull request, write some code, somebody can write specifically that new driver for SQL Server, um, and then submit it to the project. They don't obviously promise that they will accept your code um, as is. You might have to go back and forth until it's exactly in the format that they want, um, and all the bugs have been worked out. But um, as an open source project, everyone is welcome and even encouraged to contribute. Thank you for all the lessons you have shared with us today. And it's, as always, uh, it's great to have you. Now, how do we connect with you socially? Have you changed your mind on Twitter at this point? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I have not gotten around to Twitter yet. I am still available on LinkedIn as Michael Ludwig. You can find me there and I will uh, accept your friend request and you can be added as, as a node onto my personal LinkedIn graph. <laughs> That is cool. Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing um, all the knowledge and your time. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. 
and hopefully we've encouraged someone out there to start playing with graph database. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. We'll start experimenting a lot more soon. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Okay. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Data Podcast. You're welcome to follow our hosts on Twitter at Rajib2k5, at Shabnam Khan 2017, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Rajib2k5. Our episodes are also available via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google, and other podcasting platforms. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs>